Northwest Eye Surgeons and Sight Partners, I am Dr. Brett Benz, and you're listening to The Focal Point, where we invite doctors and surgeons from the fields of ophthalmology and optometry to discuss the latest trends in medical eye care. For this podcast, we are going to direct our attention to the emerging field of microinvasive glaucoma surgery, or MIGS. These procedures, as we know from mild to moderate glaucoma, have been largely able to fill a welcomed void that had existed between maximal topical therapy, including SLT, and more advanced incisional surgery, such as glaucoma drainage implants and trabeculectomy. But we welcome Drs. Landon Jones and Justin Wright to the podcast. Doctors, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having us, Brett. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you again for welcoming us and and inviting us. As background, Dr. Jones works in a busy glaucoma and cataract partnership at our Northwest Eye Surgeon's Northgate Seattle office with surgeon Dr. Bruce Cameron and optometric physicians Drs. Emily Booker and Sarah Henderson. Dr. Wright also practices in a focused glaucoma and cataract surgery practice at Northwest Eye Surgeons location in Mount Vernon and Whatcom Eye Surgeons in Bellingham with surgeon Dr. Aaron Cousin and optometric physician Dr. Emily Freeman. So let's jump into it. Given the range of options for specific MIG procedures, where and how do you fit them into your overall glaucoma algorithms. And Dr. Jones, if you wouldn't mind being uh, first. Sure, I'm happy to. Um, So as we know, as glaucoma care providers, not everyone needs trabeculectomy, um, and not every patient is adequately controlled with their uh, topical medications. And what we've found with uh, MIGS procedures is that there's some middle ground there uh, where we're treating patients uh, with devices that aren't causing uh, as much collateral damage uh, or tissue manipulation as you as you find with trabeculectomy and with tube surgeries, um, so it's a blossoming field. Uh, we're very happy to have uh, this technology uh, available to us now as glaucoma providers, uh, because we all know that managing blebs is tedious. Uh, blebs require uh, a lot of of care. They uh, require a lot of chair time for our patients, and these blebs can fail over time. Uh, so oftentimes with our, our, our trabeculectomy patients, we are um, monitoring them closely. We're adding 5-FU treatments to reduce scarring. Uh, they just require quite a bit of care, uh, and as we know, these patients are making several trips back and forth from the office. So uh, what we like about MIGS is just their favorable safety profile. Um, we tend to see less hypotony, for example, after the procedure. I mentioned that uh, we're dealing with less tissue damage uh, associated with creating a bleb, as these procedures can be done from an ab interno approach. And what we're doing by that as well is we're preserving uh, real estate uh, for future glaucoma surgeries if a patient down the road does need something uh, beyond a MIGS procedure. Uh, we look at moving forward with these procedures based on um, uh, 
how the patient's doing. So patient-driven approach. Are they having any adverse effects to their medication? Maybe they're having poor compliance to the medication. Uh, those are reasons we'd move forward with something like this. And then, uh, and then also, is it doctor-driven? Is there a progression of disease uh, requiring uh, additional lowering of pressure? And, um, you know, within this, we, we need to know if the patient qualifies, uh, let's say, for eye stent. Uh, there are qualifications uh, based on the stage of glaucoma. We're also thinking about our targets uh, and what we're, we're, we're trying to achieve uh, by, by doing an additional treatment. And then we're also, of course, thinking about our patient's age, any comorbidities, their ability to come back and forth for their appointments. Um, so that's where I'd start with answering your question. Yeah, Landon, I agree. Thank you for your thoughts on kind of where you're at and, and where these fit into our uh, medical surgical practice. You know, for me, I think the only thing I would add is is recognizing that part of the complexity or part of the concern that we deal with with eye drops themselves is some patients are either not good at getting their drops in, whether it's just because they aren't able to physically learn very well to do that, or they don't remember. And so we're seeing uh, some situations where patients have uncontrolled glaucoma status, um, even when they tell us they're using their drops. And so I think we have to have a, a sense of that going on and have to be watchful for that. And when they, uh, especially when they are preparing to benefit from cataract surgery anyway, that we look at how to um, improve their eye pressure control, maybe not need as many eye drops depending on how many they're on currently and, and really guide the future of their disease process, reduce the rate of rate of reduction of nerve tissue over time by, by performing something when we can take advantage of already needing to be in the eye surgically anyway. Now, these procedures, MIGs, don't get me wrong, they don't only have to be done during glaucoma surgery. There are some that are FDA approved, FDA approved for that only, but uh, I'm just speaking to the fact that especially when they're uh, approaching the need or benefiting from cataract surgery, we should be thinking, okay, what else can we do to to help their glaucoma disease state? Well, that's an excellent point about combination therapy because that certainly is something that most clinicians consider, especially when they have a concurrent cataract. Well, let's talk further about specific MIGS devices and procedures. Which of these does your surgical team prefer? And is there a process of patient selection that you consider in, in that decision? Well, I'll start first with this question. So, of course, we have some uh, MIGS options, but we should also mention, and I think you mentioned it earlier, Brett, we have SLT, and in our office, we're also offering micropulse diode laser treatment as well. I'll just mention those, not that they're in the MIGS category, but they are non-invasive treatments that are available to patients. We have no risk for infection with these types of treatments. Uh, we'd say that they are as mini minimally invasive as they come. So uh, certainly a lot of our patients are are being treated with these methods of, of pressure reduction. Um, we get into the, the MIGs uh, when maybe those lasers have been tried and the pressure is still uncontrolled perhaps, or the most obvious one, eye stent, uh, has been used concomitantly with cataract surgery uh, since it's only approved to do it that way. 
And the thought is since the, the surgeon is already inside the eye, has already made a clear corneal incision, that go ahead and spend another minute or two uh, injecting an eye stent um, into the Schlimm's canal to help control pressure that way. So uh, you basically have the same safety profile as if the patient had cataract surgery, uh, but now there's an opportunity to perhaps get them off one or even two medications. Uh, so uh, the, the science says this procedure is usually lowering pressure by five or six points for a majority of our patients that are having it done. Uh, so, so that's a great one that's available during cataract surgery. Um, and Glaucos, who uh, has created this stent, um, has also come out recently with one called Infinite. And this one has been approved for um, a standalone procedure. So same same idea uh, that it's implanted there and um, we can do up to three uh, instead of just two. And that way we um, can potentially, like I said, remove um, a topical medication from the patient's treatment regimen and get better control uh, with a minimally invasive procedure. Right. So Landon, the goal of using three stents instead of just two the company's now loading the device with three is really to access additional collector channels. So the surgeon placing those stents will try to access as far supero nasal and infranasal with two of them, and then probably place one again straight nasally. Uh, I think I think it has the potential of of offering some additional pressure lowering. We know that the eye stents can even stop functioning as well over time, and so if we have more in the eye, I do sense that that will help us have better functionality. Uh, my understanding is that the uh, eye stent infinite is also looking to be FDA approved for use in severe stage glaucoma, uh, which will be an interesting decision making process. I don't, I don't know how often we'll actually lean that direction, but uh, previously the eye stent was only approved for mild and moderate glaucoma, and so. It wasn't, it wasn't even really a, a choice we could employ when it comes to uh, a patient with, with more visual field damage that, that, quali- you know, that, that in a sense has severe stage type glaucoma. So it does, have, it does have an opportunity to provide us with an additional tool. I think it's, I think it's one we look forward to utilizing. I'll share that, that uh, Dr. Cousin has taken to a canaloplasty ab internal approach. So using a device called an eye track he during during cataract surgery or 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 at a separate time uh, standalone procedure, he'll go in through a clear corneal incision, same incision he would make during a cataract surgery. He then is accessing with a gonio lens, near uh, a special gonio prism lens, surgical to the nasal aspect of of the trabecular meshwork, makes a small dissection, is able to wind the eye track. Uh, with a blinking light all the way through the trabecular meshwork unless he meets resistance. If he does, he tries to go the other way as well. And then as he extracts the eye track, which is which is luminar, it has a tube, he, it actually ejects viscoelastic through the tube, which puts the Schlem's canal on stretch. So it's changing the diameter and, and, and tissue space. Um, and then nothing else is left in the eye, just the viscoelastic, which of course reabsorbs over a period of time. But again, pretty effective way to also lower the, lower the pressure effectively. We're seeing good results getting patients 
off of one, two, sometimes three drops. Uh, and so one that even compared to an ice stent, we're doing, uh, I would say about the same amount, uh, canaloplasty admin turnover versus ice stent currently. You both have brought up excellent choices for these procedures. And just top of the head, you know, there's so many we could talk about, and I'm sure you have experience with some of these. Uh, the canaloplasty was an excellent example that you brought up, Justin. You know, the other one that comes to mind now, I know that Dr. Cameron has favored Zen procedures. Dr. Landon, yes. is he still using those? Uh, yes, we're still, um, we're still doing Zen surgery. It, um, it's an ab interno approach to creating a bleb. So you might have some naysayers say this is kind of getting out of the realm of MIGS procedures since we're dealing with uh, a bleb following the procedure, but um, it's certainly less disruptive than these other filtering surgeries we've mentioned. It also takes our surgeon about 10 minutes of time, so it's a relatively quick procedure. Um, and basically, this small gel stent is implanted from the anterior chamber uh, into the subconjunctival space. It's a little bit of a finicky stent, I will say. It can sometimes curly cue, uh, be misshapen, and sometimes has to be revised a bit. Uh, but it's when it's in there properly and, and is creating a bleb, we, we tend to see um, nice lowering of ocular pressure. Uh, we just have to manage these patients as you would a, a trabeculectomy patient, in that the bleb has to be monitored. You can get some encapsulation uh, around the, the implant, and so they may need 5-FU injections uh, postoperatively, requiring your surgeon to be close by. Um, and then sometimes we'll, we'll have our patients also apply massage. I just had one today um, that I initiated massage to help keep the pressure down. And um, we, we, will, we will sort of go this direction as an alternative to trabeculectomy. So now we're kind of talking about a lower target pressure with these patients. So, uh, for example, if, if we have a pressure of, uh, let's say we're trying to get to 15, um, you know, that seems more doable with some of these other procedures we've mentioned or the, the, um, the eye stent. Uh, but if we're trying to get a target pressure of 11 or 12, then you're probably going to have to implement something like Zen surgery, similar to a trabeculectomy, to, to get the pressure down to target. Uh, one, one thought I had as Landon was talking is just a, a reminder that, you know, just because a mixed procedure is performed, it doesn't guarantee that a patient's going to be able to be off of uh, topical eye drops. It's still a combination of the two is sometimes what's really needed to maintain uh, glaucoma long-term. And so uh, don't, don't for, for all of our listening docs, don't be shy in restarting or re-adding or, or having the patient continue medications. Our protocol over the years has been to just maintain them on their current eye drop status until they feel for about a month, partly because they're on a, a topical steroid while they're healing from the procedure itself. And so it's after that month that we start to look at taking them off of medications. But again, if the pressure rises back to a range where where we're concerned, don't yeah. don't don't be shy of restarting a medication. So good procedures work really well. Uh, still still needs to be monitored and, and addressed and and carefully uh, kept under our watch so that the disease process stays managed well. Well, that's the end of our uh, time today. So uh, thank you, Landon and Justin, for providing 
your perspectives and rationale for the management um, of these patients with MIG procedures. No question that in the prevailing treatment algorithm, that there seems to be a clear consensus that MIGs are a welcomed, lower-risk alternative compared to the more invasive glaucoma procedures. Interesting that we will have our two glaucoma surgeons on an upcoming podcast that compares trabeculectomy and glaucoma tube shunt procedures. That's this week's edition of The Focal Point. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and tune in next week for another episode and update on medical eye care. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Benz, and thank you for joining us.